I know we're supposed to be tolerant of alien customs, but man, there's got to be a limit. Hi, you're listening to Orville Land. It's the podcast that'll have you home in time for pudding. We will have pudding later. My name is Dan Barrett, and I'm joined here by two of my favourite Orville villains. First of all, we've got Lieutenant Shelley Peacock. Hello. I am very grateful to have you on board. And we've also got Ensign Sid Sharma. Reporting for duty. I have never witnessed an officer behave with such carelessness, selfishness, and downright stupidity as you have. Guys, we're back here for episode two of Orville Land. It's the podcast that people said couldn't reach a second episode. Oh. And by people, my mom. Oh. Yeah. I mean... She just needs to have more confidence, yeah. Dan. I think so as well. Mama she just does not support our endeavours here. <laughs> nah, nah, well, what can you do? Mm. Guys, we are here to talk about this week's episode of The Orville. Now, obviously, just a reminder, if you have not seen the episode yet, maybe you need to go and do that first. This is going to be a spoiler-heavy conversation. Shelley, where do people watch The Orville? It's currently now streaming on SBS On Demand. So that's sbs.com.au forward slash on demand. I went to you with that question because you're wearing an SBS On Demand t-shirt. I'm a bit of a fan, not going to lie. <laughs> Company woman you are. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, through and through. Now, while you've got all the answers, a little question I like to throw each week is, what the heck happened on this week's episode? Shelley, can you do us the honours? In this one, we explore the ideas of infidelity as Bortus struggles with a crippling sex addiction through the use of the USS Orville's onboard simulator. Lachlan's. Many of them. All at once. This directly affects his relations with his mate, Clyden. Bortus, he tried to kill you. He is still my mate. We will make our relationship work. But what begins as a personal relationship breakdown goes on to have greater and possibly dire ramifications for the entire ship. My God, we're burning up! Now, I really like this episode because it really spoke to what I think is the strength of the Orville, which is that it's like a classic 1990s era Star Trek episode, but with a lot of humanity leveled into it. And I remember there was an episode of Star Trek Voyager, which I was very fond of, where one of the characters, Ensign Harry Kim, ends up falling in love with a hologram within the... Um, they're not called simulators, it's the holodeck. The holodeck, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He falls in love with a hologram there, but she is a hologram and can't really reciprocate and she's got no interest really in reciprocating to him. But I think she ends up falling in love with another character on the show. Ooh. It's been a few years since I've seen yeah, her. Right. But anyway, there was like an interesting sort of allegorical thing for, you know, the idea of maybe falling in love with someone who is not necessarily sexually attracted to your gender or something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And so I always like that sort of humanity to her. Yeah. But like they never really got to like the sort of physicality of that sort of a love. Mm. But this show definitely goes there. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Welcome. To the Cove of Pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx, uh, yes. The best holographic sex scene since Blade Runner. <laughs> Blade Runner 2040. Blade Runner mm-hmm, 2040. Mm-hmm. Is it 2040? 2049. Yeah, I think that's right. 2049. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny because Blade Runner won the Saturn Award this year, didn't it, for best sci-fi film? And then the Orville won best sci-fi television series. So there's a lot of connecting themes here. And so if you want one of those Saturn Awards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what you're about. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> so we've got a much larger storyline taking place than just Bordus. We open with 10 planets being gobbled up by a super sun. Yes, yes. Yeah. A, a sun becoming a red giant. And right. uh, it's sort of um, starting to ingest this planet. And the Orville is just stationed just off just to watch it because it's not something you get to see a lot in space. So yeah, that's, think, that's what they're there for. They, I think they've yeah. got like three days to watch it as three days. planet gets annihilated. Three days to watch a planet get annihilated. Quite visually spectacular. Yeah. 
It's pretty good. And they do yeah. realise that there's actually people living in a subterranean area. Yeah, so it goes it goes from just a pure observational mission to one of xenoarchaeology where they're like, oh, there used to be a subterranean civilization, And mm-hmm. then there's actually people alive on the planet. So that's something that, that comes into play. Mm. It just gets Bit complicated. A rescue yeah. mission. But things start getting personal in the episode as Bordas takes sick from the deck and as he disappears, apparently for the third time that week. Yeah, third or fourth time, at least 15 minutes early every time. Mm. Yeah, and we find out that his partner... Clyden. Clyden is interested in getting him home in time for pudding. <laughs> but we see that Portis isn't actually heading home to his partner. He's making out with a, some guy in a simulator. Well, with with another Mocklin. He basically walks into the simulator and uh, the first simulation is a campsite and then this Mocklin alien man comes out from behind a tree in mm-hmm. nothing but silver boxes. Silky silver. Silky silver yeah. boxes. And uh, you're like, okay, this is a bit strange and then it gets stranger and then there's kissing and then there's touching and then the camera dips to black and then we've got another similar situation later on where he's in a dungeon (laughs) and I remember Dan really enjoying that one. Yeah. (laughs) What are you suggesting? (laughs) I'm not suggesting anything, Dan. God, this whole ship is gross. I was quite taken with the scene. He was clearly interested in a very specific thing. Yeah. He he wanted his freedom. He did. And then he delivered. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. And the third, which was that? That was the, the doctor scenario. Yeah, there was a there was a nurse doctor scenario also, mm-hmm. where he had an earache and obviously had to disrobe for it for the examination. <laughs> obviously. Now that's what you do. But I was really sort of taken with the moment where Clyden ends up stabbing Borsus in his sleep because that's how you dissolve a marriage with their race. <laughs> yeah, no forewarning, no nothing. Yeah, you just stab him. There's yeah. no signing of certificates or anything. It's no. just. No. Divorce done. Yeah. And I was thinking it'd be really interesting to see these characters on an episode of, do you remember reality show Cheaters? (gasps) I do not remember Cheaters, but I can imagine what it would be. This is exactly the show you think it is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. And we can see our host, like, following around, like, the cheating Bordas, and then once it's actually revealed, see Clyden, you know, go on the attack. I would love to watch a Mocklin version of Cheaters. I think that would just be, well, it would be very violent. (laughs) I really love Clyden and Bordas' relationship. Obviously, we've seen it grow and develop and Well, yeah, we we should say this episode is covertly a sequel to the season one episode about a girl. Yes. Was that the third season thereabouts? No. Oh, the third episode, sorry. Third episode, first season. Mm. Yeah, and so that's the episode where we discover that their species are primarily male Mm -hmm. and so they give birth to other males, but there's a genetically abnormal birth that they um, have between us all of them. They have a daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then that entire episode is about whether they, you know, uh, reassign her gender and mm. make her a Mocklin boy. And Clyden's all about it because that's the custom on their planet. And Bordas, Bordas is not. He wants he wants his daughter to live out as a Mocklin female. And so that's that's the tension. And it actually comes back in this episode where that's the root of a lot of Bordas's issues with his relationship. So it gets pretty deep pretty quick. It's yeah. quite emotional. And I quite like that. So, I mean, really dealing with Bordas, of whom is so emotionally devastated by what his partner had done to him that he's really seeking that sort of emotional companionship with people in a simulator as opposed to the relationship where he's had successfully for presumably a couple of years prior to the show starting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't really come up until they have to go to couples counselling with Dr. Finn and they contemplate making their fun list and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, he just lets slip. I resent you, Clyden. Mm. Yeah, it's really quite tense and dark and upsetting and 
as you all know, I love Bortus, so watching his journey over the two seasons and seeing him come to this point and make that kind of acknowledgement to his mate is uh, it's really quite oh, heart-wrenching. What I actually wonder is, would they have done this episode if they didn't have Bordas and Clyden as characters? Mm. I don't know how they would have done it because the thing that makes it work is just how stoic and um, sort of repressed they are in everything they do. Yes. Like the way they speak, their they're like weird formalities, the way they refer to sex as the sexual event, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. That's what makes the like the family drama and the relationship drama so I don't know unique. Yeah, I don't know if they would have done it without those two characters on the ship. Well, I, mean, I think there's obviously other cultures that you can look to where you could reflect that in a TV show. But I think the reason why it is so palatable for us just to be able to sit down as part of general entertainment is that the first half of this episode is incredibly funny. Oh, it's so mm-hmm. funny. And they're really cheap jokes as well. <clears throat> like they are cheap sex jokes for the most part of the first 15, 20 minutes. But then suddenly the switch sort of flips and it doesn't stop being funny. But at the same time, there's also this emotional undercurrent that really just sort of rockets to the surface where you're really invested in what's going with these two guys. Yeah, yeah. Mm, and was reading up on the panel at Comic-Con this year. Mm. They had all the cast and producers and they promised with season two that they would be more confident and bolder in this tonal balance that they were trying to develop in the first season. I think they did really well. A lot of critics possibly felt that they didn't quite do a good job of it. I think they did. But in season two, they they really wanted to push that harder. So It's kind of funny because my understanding of the episodes we've just watched this week, while we're looking at these as season two, I believe they were actually shot as season one episodes. Really? Or at least conceived as season one right episodes. On. But I do think towards the end of that first season, they really got quite confident in what mm-hmm. the overall tone was and how to find that balance between the drama and the comedy. Yeah, because as you said before, you know, the, the first half of the episode is absolutely hilarious and, you know, laugh out loud moments. And then at the end, it's devastating. And uh, well, 45 people die yeah, at the end. Far out. <laughs> yeah, that, that whole planet being swallowed by a star thing, that was happening and there that were people on that well. planet. But um, yeah. meanwhile, sexcapades. <laughs> so so it's, it's really, yeah, it is surprising how they managed to shift through either story and kind of keep you really on board with both of them. Mm. More so the border sexcapade story, yes. but you know. Yeah. And they, they do that really well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Now, Bordas isn't really just looking for a escape with people in a simulator, but rather it really seems like he's got an addiction happening. Mm. That's true, yeah. yeah. And they do talk through what it actually feels like to have an addiction, and there's this great quote from Bordas as he explains it. It is a call from deep within, like a baby seeking its mother's teat. It feels as if nothing else in the world matters but satisfying the urge and achieving the goal my body has demanded of me. Then, as quickly as it began, it is complete, leaving a worn-out shell in its wick. I thought it was interesting watching as we see the survivors decide which amongst them are going to live and which ones aren't, that we didn't really focus on them that much. Yeah, I think this is one of the things that's hard to do when you've only got, like, a. I think it's 40 minutes, like, a network hour kind of TV. Mm. When you've got so many things happening in the one episode, um, you know, there's a virus on the ship. Sorry, yes, Bordas gives the ship a porn virus because <laughs> he's he's downloading illicit porn programs into the simulator. It's amazing in the future they don't have Norton antivirus. I know, I know. <laughs> well, yeah. That, that's it's remarkable. Their their data security is just yeah. for for an intergalactic vessel is ridiculous. <laughs> but so there's a porn virus. There's the fact that there's this whole family story happening with Bordas and Clyden, um, and their sort of issues that they're working through. 
there's also the fact that you've got this planet and that you've got three different storylines intersecting and I think it, it will become hard to resolve some of them. But I think you're, there's also a possibility in this in this season to see more storylines resurfacing. So mm-hmm. maybe we get to see a bit more of this civilization later. I don't know. Hmm. That was another thing at Comic-Con. I think they were talking about being more serial as opposed to episodic. So there will be sort of recurring characters and themes and moments, I think. So it's exciting. Yeah, yeah no, it's really good. Now, something else that was really good. Sid, you and I had a bit of an experience and unfortunately Shelley wasn't around that week for us uh, to involve her in this. I'm Shelley devastated. Was at, Shelley was at Japan Comic Con, Dan. Let's not... Let's not <laughs> I was having a good time. Let's not, not feel hard lie. done by here. No, this is exactly it. Don't feel too bad for Shelley. <laughs> but myself and Sid had a conversation with one of the stars of The Orville. Yeah, Adrian Palicki. We uh, had a nice sort of 20-minute conversation with her and uh, I guess we'll cut to that now. Hi, Adrian. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great, thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. I was really interested with your role because you're the ex-wife of the lead character. Now, usually the ex-partner comes in at the end of a storyline, and I was wondering for you, when you came into her, what sort of conversations you may have had with Seth about taking on the role and where your character might go from what, to me, feels like the end of a story to really a new beginning? Well, I mean, when Seth came to me with a role, I mean, honestly, I, A, love the script, the Blue liquid kind of sold me weirdly on the character. But uh, my biggest concern was, you know, and probably a big part of why I loved her so much was that it was going to be a challenge for me to hopefully get the general public to like her. Because, you know, you're starting off with this infidelity and, you know, your main hero is obviously hurt by this woman and she comes back into his life. So that was a, that was a major challenge for the character. And uh, over time, I think she did that. But, you know, the fact that she's, in a weird way, his better half still. So that's kind of you know where we start off with the conversation and, and, and with the characters themselves. Because, you know, Seth and I have known each other for so long that it was just like old hat to fall into that kind of rhythm of two people who knew each other. It was kind of like finding the fine lines and the details between uh, where you can like her, where you shouldn't like her, and keeping the audience a little bit on their toes just to see if she's good or bad. Yeah. You said you've known Seth for a while. I know you've done a family guy back in the past, but is that the only way that you know him or have you got like a relationship sort of beyond that? No, no. We campaigned for Obama in 2008 together in Ohio. Oh, fantastic. And um, so that's kind of our first meeting and we we stayed friends. Then he brought me on Family Guy and, you know, here we are. How many years later? (laughs) You mentioned your campaign for Obama. Uh, one of the things about the Orville that really struck out to me is it's got a lot of praise for the way it treats a lot of social issues. These kind of themes, were they something that you and uh, Seth and the rest of the cast were really passionate about exploring from the get-go, or did that just kind of happen with the writing? Absolutely. I mean, it, it, here's the thing. The writing was always there. Yeah. Um, you, you kind of going into anything, I think, with him, it's it, it, there's going to be some level of, you know, the gravity of what's happening in the world right now, and I think that that's really important. So being a part of an original way to to get out there, what's happening, mm. um, in a somewhat humorous way in certain ways, I, I thought was just beautifully fantastic and original, and, and so the rest of the cast, you know, to be a part of, of hopefully creating some kind of change or awareness without beating people over the head. It's such an amazing um, honor, I think, that we'd all probably say that, to, to get to work in that situation, in that environment. And and did you have like a favorite sort of theme or story? I really liked episode three about a girl, but did you have any particular standouts or favorites? 
Absolutely, about a girl with one. Um, I definitely liked the, the Kelly Jesus episode. I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of an interesting uh, highlight into religion. And, you know, every single one had some level of strength to it. And I just, it's hard at the end of the day to kind of pinpoint which one's your favorite because watching other people's performance, and I'm so lucky to get to work with this cast, Yes, um, the third episode, Bordas, Peter Macon is such a fantastic, fantastic actor. And so is Clyden. And they just find this fantastical world of these two men who are honestly, they're, they're, they're a gay couple, you know, trying to sustain or, or change their, their baby's sex. It's just like, it's so fantastical. Who comes up with that, right? Yeah. And so every, every day I'm in awe looking at these new scripts. And, and season two is ten times even crazier and and uh, more advanced. Yeah, I'm thinking about the fact that it delves so heavily into a lot of social issues. A lot of that comes back from the blueprint for this, which I guess is classic Star Trek. And I was wondering in terms of your preparation for the show, whether you may have gone back and watching the old Star Treks or any other preparation you may have done leading into this. No, you know, I, I watched some growing up, but I wasn't a big Trekkie. Jonathan Frakes, I always, I always loved and kind of weirdly had a crush on. And funny enough, <laughs> oh, look, know, we all did. Commander. I mean, come on, you know. And he's, he's actually directed a couple episodes of our show, which has been so, you know, amazing. But other than that, you know, outside of Spaceballs, I was really not kind <laughs> of into that <laughs> that element. But that's the thing about this. It's like it's you don't have to be a space nerd, and I say nerd with a lot of love. Um, <laughs> to to still get the show because it's just you know space is a vehicle to ultimately tell a story of relationships and that's why i was really drawn to it as well as well as star trek i think very similarly you know it's it's not just about these per episode serialized show it's about maintaining these relationships as you go through it and it's about the crew you know so it happens to be on a ship but you know it could have been on a boat or or whatnot, you know, you're dealing with aliens, but it could be anything, you know. So I just kind of looked at it like this, okay, this is where I'm at, and I'm going to live this world as though I understand what I'm saying. And <laughs> um, the big words that sometimes Seth and, you know, will make up. But it's it's really fun because, you know, you get to see people like Seth and um, Scott Grimes in their, in their element, you know, growing up loving Star Trek and getting to be on the bridge. And it, it's it's... You know, it's contagious. It's infectious. So, you know, I too feel amazingly lucky to be on that bridge because of them. You've mentioned a lot of your stars and you were talking about the idea of the crew just a short while ago. And I was thinking a lot of the, I guess, appealing aspects of the show is the camaraderie that you experience between the characters. And I was thinking for you as an actress coming into a brand new cast and meeting a whole lot of new people, how long it took for that bond to exist behind the scenes with the rest of your cast? It took it took no no seconds. Um, it was it's funny enough because some of us knew each other because you know Seth did bring a lot of his good friends onto the show. You know I've known Jay Lee for ten years and 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 Scott and Jay Lee have known each other and Seth has known Scott. Like there was just a lot of a lot of um, friendships already there and established. And everyone else could not be more fabulous or fun and all of our characters are completely different in real life and we all just bond i mean the first season we were every saturday we were working you know 15 hour days on our one day off we would all get together and have dinner that's how much we love each other and i know everybody says that but truly some of my best friends i have found on this show 
No, that's really great to hear. Which is, it's just rare, and I think that it probably translates to the screen. I hope so. Yeah, well, it, I, I think it definitely does. And um, another thing, uh, other than the regular cast, is just the amount of cameos that we see in the show, like Liam Neeson, Charlize Theron, Rob Lowe as Derulio. Um, I was just wondering, has it been working on one-off apps with cast members like this, and are there any particular stories or favourite moments that you've got? Well, here's the thing. So getting to lay in a bed with Rob Lowe <laughs> is, you know, like my 14-year-old dream. Do you know what I mean? Like my inner self watching him as, as a teenager, like, I, I, A, that was just surreal. Um, <laughs> of course. Also, what an amazing human. He loved being in the makeup. He loved the character. He was so fun to work with. And on top of that, getting to, to beat the crap out of Charlize Theron, like not only beat the crap, but have an actual fight with this person that I've idolized as, a, as an action hero as well, like for, for many years, one of the most beautiful women in the world. It was just so fun to get to, to play and do something like that that nobody else gets to do, you know? Now, look, in fairness, while you may have thought that you had the thrill of beating up her as, you know, the action star, you've been Wonder Woman for a little while. So let's not discount the gravity that you're bringing to that fight. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I've done that and John Wick and all the things. But, like, you know, it's – but, again, this is somebody I look up to, you know, because she, she also likes to do her own stunts and, or as many as she can. And, and just, you know, and we were, we were really fighting each other – not fighting each other, but, you know, stage fighting each other with us. And it was really, really fun to get to play with somebody who was – equally that into it and so talented so that was just that was a really big that was a peak in my career for sure yeah absolutely that fight was quite impressive as well trust me the male crew members on set were all we're all watching <laughs> <laughs> i bet they were every time we rehearsed it was just nobody was working <laughs> <laughs> well, they just wanted to make sure their craft was really being depicted in the right way. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, is there a guest star at all you'd love to see come onto the show? I mean, so many. <laughs> but um, that's actually a really good question. I have not been asked yet. But I'd have to think about that. Can we come back around to that? Yeah, yeah, sure. If anything comes to mind, let me know. In the meantime, uh, I was thinking about your career. So when I think about Adrian Plehi, I think about more the just general drama projects you've done. So Friday Night Lights comes to mind for me a fair bit. I really like the two episodes of Lone Star that we got to see. And also there was uh, About a Boy, which I was a big fan of that show back in the day. But broadly, if you look at your filmography, you've done largely sort of genre affair. And I was wondering if maybe you're like lean towards that a little bit more when you're trying to find a role and what it is in your mindset when you are trying to latch onto what that next project's going to be. You know, what's so funny is, you know, after doing Friday Night Lights, it really didn't think like of the genre world that much. And um, it, it actually came to me weirdly, you know, it was like I did, you know, Supernatural and a couple of things that were, you know, a little sci-fi beforehand, but it just kind of started to become a theme and, uh, you know, I think it was the action stuff that really kind of started to, to sell me. And I, there was like seven years of my life. I feel like I only did action. Things. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of them are genres, you know what I mean? A lot of them are either comic books or in space or, you know what I mean? Futuristic, whatever they are. And, um, I kind of fell into it, but I loved it, you know, and it's weirdly like a home and a, and a safety net for me now that I just feel so comfortable in. And, and, um, you know, just kind of having grown up in that world of like, you know, comics and, and whatnot, it was just, it's been, it's been super fun to get to be a part of that and to, and to be liked in that world is, is even bigger because the fans are what, you know, make or break any genre. So yeah. 
Now, have you filmed production for season two yet? Season three? Oh, sorry, season three. Well, uh, let, let's phrase that question again. Uh, when do you start back for season three? Uh, oh, God. I Well, I hope there is a season three. Oh, it'll I'm, happen. I'm <laughs> waiting. <laughs> if so, I think it would probably be, you know, spring. We'll be back. But um, I fingers crossed because, you know, this is such an amazing show to work on. And like I said, just, you know, getting to work with your buddies every day, it's kind of special. If it does go through to a season three, have you been given much of an idea of where the show might be heading or a few fun things that you might be able to do in it? Uh, I, like I said, I mean, I don't even know if there's a season three. <laughs> <laughs> so no. conversations aren't that developed Literally, yet. I don't, think, I don't think they've been developed. If they are, they're probably ideas right now. So, <laughs> so that's a big deal. It'll Fingers happen. Crossed. Yeah, it'll happen. I know there's a couple of scripts out there that, you know, in the hopes of season three, but I don't really know what they are. Fantastic. So in the meantime, have you got another project that you're working on? No, right now I'm I'm actually trying to develop uh, something that my writing partner and I wrote together called uh, Good Morning Joan, and you know just getting together the the all the things that go into making a project. So right now that's kind of what I'm focusing on and really enjoying some good time off. So yeah. that's look, looking for maybe a little something here and there, but but really just kind of taking my time to be with friends and family. Oh, that's great. Adrian, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, and best of luck with the project you're working on as well as possibly a season three of The Orville. Hopefully a season three of The Orville. Yeah, <laughs> I like where you're at that. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Adrian Palicki. I have to say, she was incredibly lovely. Yeah, she was really warm and, um, yeah, no, it was, it was great. Yeah, she was great. I was really smitten with that conversation. Yeah, likewise. Now, each week on the show, we do like to go in depth about some of the aspects of the show, sometimes maybe the cultural movements or the technology in the show. Now, Sid, you're the one that's really going to be driving this segment. This week, what are we looking at tech-wise? Oh, God, Dan, you just want me to talk about porn. (laughs) Um, Hey, look, you're bringing it up, man. Well, like, yeah, my search history is a little strange right now because I did spend a while (laughs) looking up porn addiction and I think I'm going to get served some very strange ads. But that's that's it. It's kind of like uh, pornography and... um, I guess, technology and the intersection there, because that's one of the recurring themes in this episode. Yeah, so you've got the simulations taking place in the, in the simulator. And I do wonder, first of all, do they hose that down every so often? Oh. I don't know. There, there has to be like some kind of purge protocol where yep. they're just like a really high fire just burns through it and then they deoxygenate the room and it's clean. But Maybe they just open up to the, um, the yeah, suction just, from space. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Vacuum it. <laughs> but yeah, so you've got these holodecks where people, and it sort of sounds like people are using it for sexual gratification to a reasonable degree. Well, I'm surprised because I think a lot of technology is really made by the porn industry. So if you had a simulator, you better believe that the porn industry were the ones who pioneered the mm-hmm. simulation technology. Oh, look, it did. So the interesting thing about technology is that forward progression of technology was usually associated with sport. So if you think about the early sort of broadcast media, things like radio, like radio really gained ground initially and take up from people because they could hear the cricket. And so that was a big driver for radio. When TV came along as well, sport was a big driver for that. Mm -hmm. Cable television as well, like just subscription TV, that really got driven quite heavily by sport. But it's actually with the introduction of home video that suddenly pornography took over from sport as being the main driver for consumption of new tech and new media. Mm -hmm. So it's because you can watch it at home 
without, you know, having to go to a movie theatre and like a jacket or something. (laughs) I I believe that's how it works. I've seen it in movies. But yeah, so you look at technology from VH, well, beta and VHS onwards. And if you look at like the internet and online video and online payments, a lot of this all comes from the porn industry really driving a lot of this forward progression. Yeah, I guess it's just not something that I guess other sci-fi is really touched on that much. Um, I would imagine not. Yeah, I, I guess you see it, you saw it in kind of like Demolition Man where Sandra Bullock and Sylvester Stallone have this weird virtual reality sex mm. thing going on. Um, we saw it in, as we mentioned, Blade Runner. I think people just don't really want to talk about it that much, but it is really one of the main points of technology, I reckon. Mm. And it was fun that the show actually did go there and talked about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was great. In a kind of really sort of empathetic way and not, not a, like they were lewd things about the way it was treated, but it was ultimately about Bordas's experience and mm. his feeling and actually a lot of the adverse effects of it. Yeah. Yeah. Felt pretty realistic as well. Like I can see us going in that direction. And uh, I think one of the funniest interactions was Bortus with that new character that we'd never seen before who looked like a big clump of genitals who was <laughs> uh, from a species who specialised in <laughs> porn creation. Yeah. That was my favourite part. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Now, guys, we're going to wind this down, but before we do, we're going to end every week by moment of the week. Sid, let's throw it to you. What was the moment that tickled your fancy? I really loved when Isaac was trying to defuse the porn virus in the ship and um, he was in the sex simulation <laughs> while it was happening and there were, you know, four or five other Mocklins trying to fondle him as he's trying to defuse the virus. I thought that was quite funny. Your head is very smooth and very sensuous. <laughs> How about you, Shel? I really like the interaction with uh, Dr. Claire Finn yeah. um, and when she instructed them to use each other's names a lot more. Clyden, I, Bortis, am still attracted to you, Clyden. Good. Now, Clyden, I want you to look Bortis in the eyes and accept what he has told you. The humour out of that. Again, just the way they talk to each other. I can't get enough. That was basically look me in the eye, the Orville edition. (laughs) I think my favourite moment was the reintroduction of the character Dan, which spoke to me as a Dan. (laughs) I particularly liked when, and it really followed on from the scene you were talking about, where they're in a simulator with the Mocklins of whom are trying to, you know, um, seduce the, you know, crew as they're trying to fix the porn virus taking place. Where Isaac was not wanting to have like a single moment of this, Dan instead turns around and is like, hi, I'm Dan. (laughs) That was great. I swear to God, I'm never looking at porn again. Hi, I'm Dan. Guys, it has been a pleasure talking all things Orville at Orville Land with you both. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Dan. As usual. Sweetness. Sweetness. Sweetness indeed. (laughs) Lieutenant Shelley Peacock, uh, people can find you on Instagram. Instagram underscore hellbells. With a Z. Z, and then another underscore. Uh, Sid, you're around and about. Yeah, also on Instagram, I use my magician name, which is my last name backwards. <laughs> it's at A-M-R-A-H-S. That's where you'll find me. Indeed, people can find me on pretty much any social media platform you want to you know, take a bit of a go at, mm-hmm. uh, at the Dan Barrett. Anyway, Love I'd it. like to hear back from people as to what they thought of the first few Orville episodes. Folks, this has been Orville Land. Thank you very much for listening. Of course, if people want to watch The Orville, and we deeply recommend that they do, otherwise this podcast just makes no sense. <laughs> Check it out Friday nights, SBS Viceland. Maybe you want to watch it at your leisure. You can watch it anytime at SBS On Demand, and that's sbs.com.au slash on demand. On demand, yes. Yeah, or through your apps of choice. That too. So yeah, 
watch Orville, come listen to us at Orville Land, and we'll be back next week talking about Episode 3, Season 2. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.